are going to continue in Hebrews, and we're in chapter 7. The, uh, the verses that we're going to look at today, I think, if we can get through it, um, you'll see it on the screen, uh, 11 through 28. I'm not going to have the text up on the screen. Um, I think it'd be a good idea for us to, like, let our fingers walk through the Bible or our devices, however. I know a lot of people now are using a device, and that helps them to, uh, to have something. It always feels good to have, a, like, a, like, the Bible in your hand, though, huh? Like, to scroll through the pages. So, um, as you can see, I kind of put a, a title to this sermon because it's a verse that uh, that's, you're going to see in, in the passages from 11 to 28, and you'll find it um, down, if you keep going down to the bottom, um, around verse... Well, let's just do this. Let's read all of it. Okay? So, if you don't mind standing, let's stand. Remember that uh, the author here is showing us that Jesus' priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, that mysterious Old Testament man who just mysteriously and suddenly appears on the scene right after Abraham had won his battle against those kings. And then he disappears. And there's only like three verses in Genesis 14 in reference to him. And then another one in the Psalms. And nothing else in the Old Testament referring to this mysterious man who had no beginning and no end. They didn't know where he came from or his what, when he was born and if he died, and obviously he did, but the Bible leaves it mysterious. And um, what the author is trying to prove here is that uh, Jesus' um, priesthood is eternal. And Jesus' priesthood was established before Aaron's. And not only that, that the Levites, from where the priests come in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they paid tithes, which means their father, their Abraham, who paid tithes to Melchizedek, was paying tithes to someone superior to him. You don't pay tithes to someone that's less than you. You pay tithes to someone that's greater than you. So it's a reflection then that all the descendants would make sense. All the descendants from Abraham all the way down to the day that this was written, they also were paid, had paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. So it's an eternal priesthood. And that's important. Because remember, the priest is what connected man to God. The priest served as a bridge between a holy God and sinful people. And without the, the, the high priest... There was no access to God. There was no relationship to God. It's through the priest. And the good news is that we have a high priest, Jesus, who gives us a better hope. That's the point of that passage. So let's read from 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, 
Why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and we mentioned this last week, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord Jesus descended from Judah, from the tribe of Judah. And in regards to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. For the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of these or those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he was offered up. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath, by the way, oath is the same as a promise, which came after the law appointed the Son, the Messiah, who has been made perfect forever. So let's just pray for the sermon. Father, speak to us. We try to dig out of here some, some of the important points and ideas that you um, uh, are allowing us to see in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And, and that we might remember these, these promises, that we might remember these facts, this truth, Lord, on who Jesus is and how that is so important for us as Christians to know, Father, that he is the great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. He's eternal. We can go to him always, and he'll always represent us before the Father. We can always bring our petitions to him, and that's the point here. He has made us have a better hope. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to dig through here. So the point one in verse 11. You'll see it uh, in your Bibles. Uh, I like how he starts by saying, if perfection could have attained, uh, uh, been attained through the Levitical priesthood, then, you know, Indeed, he says, the law given to the people established what priesthood. Why was there a need for another one? 
Why was there a need for another priest to come? So the Mosaic law is what, and the old covenant, which the, remember these Hebrew Christians were trying to go back to the temple, back to the priests, back to animal sacrifices. And what the author is saying is, no, those things are inferior. There's one who's come and he's the reality of all those types and figures and shadows of the Old Testament. So Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and all those lambs and all those things that were shown in the Old Testament that they only got bits and pieces of it. We see it all in Christ. So uh, the Old Covenant, the Old Priesthood is not and cannot be compared to what Jesus can do. And that's why, that's why he appeared. That's why he came. And that's what it says there. Why would we... I mean, it doesn't make sense. If we could be perfected by the old system, why would a new, why, why a new system? could put it this way, simply. If we could be made righteous by uh, our, our deeds and, our mer- and, and meritoriously through our works... What was the point of Jesus coming to the cross? If we could stand before God without him. So that's the argument here. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. Again, uh, not in the order of Aaron. So out with the old, in with the new. And that's the hardest thing sometimes for us to do. Not only the Hebrews of that time, which they had a whole system. Can you imagine you were raised all your life and the temple was in Jerusalem and you had to go to that and celebrate the feast seven times a year and all the rules and then you had to bring sacrifices once a year for your sins over and over and over and you had to, you, the, the high priest went into the holy place with the blood on the day of atonement and you practiced, uh, you, you smelt the incense, you, heard, you saw the priests in their beautiful garb and, and uh, the way they dress and their hats and boy, it's just a wonderful religious system. And all of a sudden you're told, it's canceled. It's annulled. We'll see that in a minute. It no longer has any purpose. The only reason why that would be true is because something better came. Okay? When we leave our old lives, let's just forget about the Hebrews. When we leave our old way of life and we come to Christ, we come to Him first confessing our sins and repenting from them and understanding our need of a Savior. And he promises that we would be born again and be new creatures in Christ, that the old life is passed away, that is better what we have, eternal life and God's protection and God's sovereign hand over our lives and, and we can pray to him and he hears us. And then one day we decide, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to the old life. That would be a tragic decision. There's nothing there for us. And the sad thing with the Hebrews and the, those Christians, or at least those who had learned about Christ but still wanted to return, is that they didn't even know that their temple wasn't going to be around after 70 AD when Titus destroys Jerusalem and burns it down to the ground. And it's still down, burned down to the ground. And that system and that temple and all those priests still have not appeared some 2,000 years later. So there's nothing there. There's no there there, as they would say, right? 
So in verse 13, it says, He of whom these things are said to belong to a different tribe. Here's the other problem that the Hebrews had. All the priests were from the tribe of Levi. They were called Levites. Jesus is from Judah. And they're like, and we said this, he, referring to Jesus, of whom these things are said, belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe have ever served at the altar. No one has ever served in the temple, is what he's saying. They were all Levites. And it's clear from that our Lord, referring to Jesus, he came from Judah. So they had a hard time understanding, wait a minute. If Jesus is now our mediator and our great high priest, our representative and our defense lawyer, how come he doesn't come from where priests come from? And then there's that mysterious, and that's the whole argument about Melchizedek. There was a priest before Aaron. Mysteriously again, he showed up on the scene, and Abraham paid tithes to him, and he blessed Abraham. And we learned from last week that the lesser is blessed by the greater. And God knowing his son would come and knowing from before eternity that Jesus was going to be our great mediator, he threw in this man's and this encounter with Abraham to provide us with a way out of explaining why Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's actually from an older priesthood. And that man only shows up in Genesis 14, mysteriously disappears. There's one small mention of him in Psalms by David. And then, of course, now we're reading about him in the book of Hebrews. But that's the New Testament. See, God always has his word and his truth and his plan readily available for us to understand it. We need a priest that's eternal. We need a priest that has actually not access to a temple made of stone, but to a temple that's eternal in heaven, and it's Jesus. How important it is. And I don't know any of you have ever had to face legal issues. That's usually stuff for adults, or as you get deeper into life, things happen, and you have to go through a legal system to find a remedy. And to find justice or to find an answer to some uh, conflict or contention. And of course there's lawyers. Uh, And happen to be if you are found uh, or suspected of some crime. You can't just show up to court by yourself. You don't know enough of the law. You wouldn't be able to protect yourself. You wouldn't be able to protect your assets. You wouldn't be able to protect... uh, uh, the rights you have without a, someone that knows the law and knows the judge and how the judge is going to operate in the court system. So in a way, we have that kind of a thing going on now in our, in, in our country. And Jesus is our defense lawyer. We go before the Father with our issues and our shortcomings and our breaking of the law, if you will, or questionable activity or suspect activity that we may be accused of doing something wrong and we have him to stand before the Father on our behalf. That's the point. That's the point. And he's eternal. 
See, Jesus couldn't be a priest according to Mosaic law because he's from the wrong tribe. Yeah, but God had an answer for that. Melchizedek, verse 15. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, and he did, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation, in other words, not on the basis of the law, but on the basis uh, and ancestry, but on the basis of the power of her indestructible life. So Jesus is like Melchizedek. The reason it talks about indestructible life is I believe that Melchizedek is a figure in the Old Testament that speaks to us or you could say predicts or foretells the risen Christ it's because he's eternal. He's, look what it says. It is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, referring to Christ. This is in Hebrews 7, 17. This is where we're at right now. Indestructible life. Okay, so this high priest that we're referring to, Jesus, has an indestructible life. What does that mean? Well, it means that he overcame death. Didn't he get crucified on a cross? Yeah. Didn't he go into the tomb for three days? Yes. Didn't he rise from the dead? Yes. Didn't he spend time with his disciples and demonstrated to them that he was in now a glorified body? Thomas, who was the the doubter said, I won't believe until I can see, touch the holes in his hands. And then Jesus shows up at the uh, upper room and says, hey, here you go. And he falls on his hands and falls on his knees. And he worships him because Jesus had resurrected in a glorified body. But all the markings of his suffering are still visible and then didn't he ascend into heaven in uh, Acts chapter 1 where we read about uh, the disciples looking up and angels saying, hey, this same Jesus you see ascending in the clouds will return one day in like manner. And where is he right now as we're going through and talking about that great high priest? He's on the throne of grace, ever making intercession for us. His, his role right now is our great high priest interce- interceding on our behalf. So yeah, Jesus is a priest forever, just like Melchizedek was as a figure. Obviously, he died. He was a man. It's a figure. We don't know when. We don't know where he was born. We don't know who his parents are. That's the point. That's the point. Jesus comes from eternity past, and he will live on eternally in the future, even though the past and the future are related to time. He's outside of time. He's not subject to time or space or material. Heaven and the spirit, the world of the kingdom of heaven is a whole nother dimension that we have no understanding about. That's where he came from. He's not just a man. He's the God-man, and he came for a reason. So, Melchizedek is a priest forever, therefore Jesus is a what? Priest. Say it. Forever. The figure of Melchizedek is the reality of Jesus. Then, 
we can have no, no doubt when he talks about indestructible life there at the last part of verse 16. He's referring to Jesus' resurrection and his eternal priesthood. See, death could not conquer Christ. That's why he's a priest forever. Now, in our world with lawyers or representatives, they can mess up. Or they could be abusive. Or they could not follow procedures and be disbarred and they're gone. But not Jesus. He said, I didn't come to break the law, I came to fulfill it. The only one that could and ever did. Because the law is his standard. It's a reflection of his attributes. It's a reflection of his character and of who he is. He's righteous. So the righteous one is our, what? Our mediator. That matters. You can go to him and you can say, hey man, this isn't, this isn't working, Lord. I don't know, whatever it may be. Someone's persecuting you or some injustice or you're sick or you have issues with finances or relationships. You can go to the one that knows all about it because he's not just some God sitting in heaven. He became a man and he dwelt among us and he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows exactly what we're going through. None of us will ever suffer like he did. And he can say, I understand, but not only do I have compassion, and not only am I understanding, but I can actually do something about it because I'm almighty and sovereign. I'm in control. And you're my child. You belong to me. You've been purchased with a price. The blood of Jesus. So we're, it is a big deal to be a Christian. We have rights. And those rights should give us peace. And those rights should give us security. And those rights should give us joy. We don't have to walk around with our heads down and frowning over whatever we may have to face. If it's happening in your life, it's because He allowed it. It very well may be He brought it. So that you can learn to depend on Him. So you can learn of your limitations and your weaknesses. And how you actually need Him. Or you can go without Him and live your life trying to figure it out. Because that's what everyone's doing that doesn't know Him. Trying to get an angle. Trying to get an upper hand. Trying to figure it out. All the while, failing. So, the form regulation, according to verse 18, the old system of priests is set aside. Why? Because it's weak and useless. See, the law does a great job of setting God's standard before us. Let me explain why, when talking about the former regulation, he's talking about the former priesthood, but that priesthood, that former priesthood belonged to the Mosaic law, it belonged to the old covenant given to Moses. He established the Levitical priesthood. He said here it's been canceled, set aside, annulled. Why? Because it's weak and useless. Oh my God, that's such a terrible thing to say about the law. No, it's weak and useless to you for righteousness. Because all the law can do is reveal to you God's perfect standard that you can't keep. It drives us to a place where we acknowledge we can't do it. 
I've done this exercise with you before. Have you ever lied? If you say you haven't, you're a liar. Already you broke the law. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, it was just a pen from work. I know it had the name of the workplace on it. I get all oh, your pastor. Well, maybe you just borrowed it. I don't know. You're going to give it back when the ink's gone. I know that maybe not everybody here has lied, maybe. But maybe you've stolen something. Oh, I've never hated anyone. The Bible says that if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed, in God's eyes, because his standard is perfect, murder. If you ever looked upon a woman or a man with lust, with desire, covetously, you committed adultery. His standard is so high that you can't escape its condemnation because we're, it's designed to reveal that we are sinners and we need a Savior. That's the point of it. So the law is kind of like an assessment, a diagnosis is given to reveal our sin. And that's absolutely essential if you're ever going to accept a Savior. Why in the world would you need a Savior if you don't know you're a sinner? You don't need Him. Because Jesus didn't come for those that are well. He came for those that are sick. Spiritually speaking. That are aware of their bankruptcy. And their fallen nature. But the law is absolutely essential to diagnose our problem. But the law cannot provide a cure for our problem. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should ever brag. Can you imagine if you got to heaven over how good you were? My goodness, judgment day would never end. Because people would be up there spouting how great they are. It's like, come on, man, you've been going on now for hours. And I did this, Lord, and the old lady, I helped her cross the street, and I found a puppy that was abandoned, and I'm such a great guy. You'll never be able to go out. To, can you imagine the stuff that the Lord would have to hear and all the rest of us in the crowd on Judgment Day if, we had, if it was based on our works and our merits and how good we are? And at the end of all of it, God would say, it's not enough. It's not enough. And you needed to be perfect. But one sin makes you guilty of breaking all of them. That's how perfect God's law is. So the law and the old system, the Mosaic, wasn't able to save. Only Jesus' work on Calvary's cross can bring people to salvation. Amen? So it was set aside. It was annulled. It was revoked. It was voided. It was canceled. And we don't need to think of, oh, how am I going to be cleansed? No, you just need to look for the cleanser. You don't need long to think about, how am I ever going to be delivered? You're not going to be. You need to look for a deliverer. See, we're always trying to find a way to be delivered and a way to be cleansed. But the issue is, we have a 
cleanser, one who can make us righteous, and we have one who can deliver us. Don't look at what you can do. Look at whom did it for you. That's the difference. So verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. Was that in there? No. It can't make anyone perfect. All it can do is reveal our imperfections. Go ahead and read the Ten Commandments when you get a chance. That's your homework. See how many of those, you know, those people that send on Facebook, how many of you can, they put a big old long list, gone to Niagara, been to Paris, had a dog, owned a cat, and they want to know, how many of these have you actually accomplished in your life? Well, do that with the Ten Commandments and see how many of those you have broken. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. Have you ever not honored your mother and your father? Probably. See, it's just non-ending bad news. The law is bad news. Oh, it's good because that's a reflection of who God is. But it's not good for you. It's, well, here we go, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. And there are actually Christians who continue to try to live by the law. And think they do. And oh, how miserable they are when they fail. But we don't have to live that way. We live through and are guided by the Spirit. And by faith. Trusting God's forgiveness and moving forward without guilt. It's a big difference. So we have a better hope because he says there, For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. What could that better hope be, church? Anybody want to shout it out? Yeah, Jesus. By which we draw... Oh, he's even describing what the priest does. He draws us to God. He draws us near to God. We can't come to God without Jesus. And someone might say, oh my goodness, well what about the Muslims? Or what about the Hindus? And what about the Buddhists? They don't come this way. They reject Jesus. There's another way. Then I would have to say, God's word is either true or it's a lie. And I'm simply the messenger. There's no, the only better hope that we have is the one that was introduced to us. And by, whom, by which we can draw near, which is the whole chapter 7 and most of this book is talking about Jesus. We need to be more clear about our stance. That's what we believe. There is no name under heaven by which man might be saved. Period. That's the truth. That means that everyone who hears this, whether you're here or you are a Muslim or a Buddhist or whatever you are, humanist, pragmatist, Whatever you are, you will have to face your decision before him one day. What did you do with the cross of Christ? It's important. If you made a decision for Christ, what a blessing. 
What glory awaits. What hope, better hope. There is none outside of him. That's what it says. Jesus' work on Calvary's cross paid for our sins, which we could never pay. There's a song that says, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's called the great exchange. The sinner accepting the work of Christ at the cross is relieved from all duty and works to be saved. And the innocent one who never knew sin, and I'll talk about it at closing, he takes upon himself all our sins in an exchange. The righteous one takes the guilt of the guilty ones, take the righteousness of the just one, and we walk away free. But it requires faith in that we believe that's what God set up. That's what he, pro- that's the plan of salvation. Jesus is better and he allows us to have a relationship and fellowship with God the Father. He's the mediator. Verse 20, and it is not without an oath. In other words, it was a promise. Others became priests without an oath. They were just had to be born into the family of the Levites. But he became a priest with an oath. Again, God promised. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn, which is another way of saying that God has given an oath or a promise, and he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, referring to Jesus. And we sure need one. And then, here are the benefits of that oath or that promise. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. What? Jesus has become the guarantor. What does that mean? I'll put it to you this way. Jesus is the guarantee. Guarantee of what? Of salvation. Jesus is the guarantee. It's an ancient word. It describes someone who gave security, or, and this one might be more understandable to parents. It's someone who co-signed a loan because you're guaranteeing what? Payment. I don't know. Um, Ramito, have you had to do a co-sign yet? Good. <laughs> If you know what a cosign is, if the person you cosign doesn't sign, your credit score and credibility, credit credibility, is uh, a risk. It's at risk. So guess who goes down and pay, or who makes the payment? The signee, the guarantor, right? Or for instance, a guarantor is that person who puts the bail up for for a criminal or a prisoner. So Jesus is the guarantor. He's the guarantee. So I want to know if I'm saved. Jesus guarantees it. It's not maybe. We'll see one day at heaven. No. We already know. And then in Ephesians, there's also a reference to the Holy Spirit being our down payment. Not going to be, is. It's already been made. If you 
trust and believe in the finished work of Jesus. It's as good as done. So, I was going to say, you know, I, I had to co-sign for my, my son because he's in college and stuff, so, you know, rent. Oh, my goodness, what have I got myself into? You know why I would do it? Because I love him. Because I love him. And right now, he should, he's studying. That's what he's supposed to be doing. I don't need, and God does that for us. You know why? He guarantees our salvation if we come believing. Notice how I keep saying that. It's based on faith, true faith, a genuine faith, sincere faith, where you call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord because His name is Jesus, who means Savior. You call upon a Savior because you realize you're a sinner in need of salvation and forgiveness because your sins you can't pay. It's a beautiful story. He's the guarantee of a better covenant and that's salvation. Verse 23, almost done. Now there have been many of those priests, the ones in the Levitical system, they've since died. Why? Because of their mortality. Preventing them from continuing in the office. So maybe they had a career of 25, 35, 40 years and then they, 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 they died. Then someone else came in and took their place. But, verse 24 says, Jesus lives forever and has a permanent priesthood. So the, if Jesus lives forever, how long is the guarantee? Forever. And then it says, just to make sure we understand, Jesus, verse 35, referring to Jesus, in verse 25 rather, therefore he, referring to Jesus, is able to save completely. Like, to the uttermost. That means that because Jesus is unchanging, our salvation and guarantee is unchanging and permanent and secure. Amen? Therefore, he's able to save completely. He doesn't save halfway. He doesn't save like 75%. He doesn't even save 99%. He saves completely. If you ate the complete pizza, did you eat the whole thing? Yeah, not just 10 slices. You ate the 12. Right? So what he's able to do? He's able to save completely who? Those who come to God through him. And how do we come through him? Through faith. Because of grace. Right? We come by grace through faith. It's a gift. You accept it voluntarily of your own free will and say, that's a good deal. I think I'll take it. Right? And so it says he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus always leaves, lives to make intercession. That is, he's always open and accessible to our petitions, our requests. 
Boy, you, we should be praying a lot more if that's true. A lot more than we do. He lives always to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Yes, he does. Only because he's the one who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is so different because the old Levitical priests would have to first have an offering for their own sins, then they would offer for your sins, and they would have to do it literally day by day or year by year, right? They would bring a sacrifice. Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. That's pretty crazy. And this is the best sacrifice that could be ever uh, be offered because it's the one God offered for us when John the Baptist saw him, Jesus on the side of the Jordan River when he began his ministry around the age of 30. He came after he was in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights being tempted by the devil and overcame the temptation. He appeared to be baptized by John uh, the Baptist and the first thing John the Baptist says is behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is not just the priest, but he's the sacrifice. He's the best sacrifice ever offered. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, referring to the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. I don't know if we realize this, but the Father made Jesus sin. In other words, a sin offering. And all the sins of the world fell on him, past, present, and future. He absorbed him on our behalf. And by believing in it, again, I don't know how many times I'm going to say it, but it has to be said a lot. Every single sin you ever committed, commit, and will commit has fallen on Christ. And you're free, and there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. We have become the righteousness of God through Christ. In other words, through Christ, we're made right with God. It's all right with God. You can walk out of here and you can say to the person next to you and wherever you go, it's, I'm all right with God. All right in both ways. It's all right and it's all right. Amen? The law, verse 28, appoints as high priest men in their weaknesses. That's, again, speaking to the Hebrews who wanted to go back. But the oath, or God's promise, which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. I tell you what, you know why Jesus is a better hope? Because he's forever a better hope. Not just today, not maybe tomorrow, but always a better hope. Amen? Well, my prayer is that this will find a place in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, having us understand who Jesus is and 
His role as our uh, mediator, as our great high priest, as the one who represents us, Lord, in, in the courts of heaven. And we know, Lord God, that He's there to defend us. He's there to bring our requests and our petitions to you. He's there to help. He's there to provide. He's there to bless. We thank you for that. Help us to run to him always, knowing, Lord, that he will never fail us. He never leave us nor forsake us. As a church, we pray that, Lord, we would learn those truths and carry them with us outside of of this building into the, the communities and the workplaces, the schools, and wherever we go out in the world, that we would understand, Lord, that we're not alone. We belong to you. We've been purchased with a price and that you love us in ways that we just can't and ever will comprehend on this side of heaven. But thank you for that, Lord, and we ask and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.